surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor, and I want to welcome you to today's episode. Wherever you are at right now, I hope that you are coming into this podcast open-minded, ready to learn a little bit. Today's episode, um, you're going to learn about polyvagal theory, which I've mentioned briefly on the podcast in the past, but we're going to get a little bit deeper into it. And even as I um, you know, zoom out recording this introduction, uh, post-recording with my guest, um, there's so many pieces of this that are just falling into place for me as I reflect. So I do think that this will be a greatly introspective, reflective episode for all of you listeners um, tuning into this episode. So my guest for today is uh, Justin Sinceri. He's an LMFT and he also hosts the Polyvagal Podcast. Um, He works a lot with trauma um, and he's really, really gotten pretty deep into this theory and he's going to share just kind of the basics of this theory. There's three primary pieces of this, but then there's also some mixed states and uh, some note, some note taking might be helpful during this. Um, I kind of jotted down a few notes just around the theory and was connecting some dots as I was doing some research on it. And I think that this could be really, really beneficial for um, any of you listening right now. So um, I hope that you are hanging in there right now. I know times are tough, and um, as much as I, you know, I'm trying to focus just on my immediate life and things that I can control and. And taking some breaks from hearing about everything that's going on. We will reference uh, COVID-19 in some of this episode in terms of how to cope with the stress and potential trauma um, that might be, you know, that, that people might be struggling with right now. So this will, that will be a small part of this episode, but again, a lot of everything with uh, polyvagal theory that we'll talk about is really applicable in like every sense of your day. Um, So with all of that said, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on Let's Talk About It. And uh, now let's talk about it. All right. Welcome, Justin, to the show. Thank you so much for being here and making the time for this. I know lives are a little stressful right now, so I super appreciate you making the time to be here. I'm really happy to actually thank you for being willing to stay up a little bit later or start this later. Got my kids in bed. I'm ready yes. to roll. Yeah, perfect. Um, it's a lot of things to balance right now. And I'm hoping digging into this conversation about polyvagal theory will help kind of give us some tools and give us a little bit of like different perception on how to cope with life in general, but also, you know, things that are happening specifically in the world right now around um, experiencing a worldwide pandemic. Um, very strange times we're living in. Um, in the past, uh, for some of our listeners that have been, you know, pretty consistent, um, in an episode a while back, I had Dr. Lauren Vogel Mercy on, and she briefly went into polyvagal theory and it was kind of the first time I'd heard of it. And it made a lot of sense. I was like, Oh wow. Like this. It does. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just instant. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it can be pretty intense academically. It can um, be a little complicated to describe, but one of the things I appreciate appreciate about you is that you make it uh, very easy for people who maybe don't understand what it is to understand. Um, so if you could give maybe just like a brief synopsis yeah. on um, what polyvagal is and then we can kind of get into like how we apply it. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually want to give a real quick heads up um, for people who might be hearing this for the first time. Mm-hmm is that some pieces in your life might come crashing down. Like it's, it can be a pretty intensive thing because it has a lot to do with trauma. Yeah. And so for, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, it makes sense. And I can now get to the next you know, phase of my life. But some people, it's, if they're hearing it for the first time mm-hmm. and they're not, ready, they're not ready for it, it, it might be a bit much. So um, just a, as a heads up for listeners. Mm-hmm. But the polyvagal theory is basically how um, mammals 
connect to each other, but also how we respond to danger. And as human beings, that's us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the basic like one-liner is how we respond to safety, but also danger. So the polypical theory, can I go a little bit more into it, like in depth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's from Dr. Stephen Portis. It's been around for a while, but only, I don't know, maybe the past few years has gotten really like a lot of steam. Mm-hmm. But it, it lays out that we've all heard of like flight and fight and freeze. Yeah. But the polyvagal lays out that it's a little bit more complex than that. It's not just how we behaviorally respond to mm-hmm. incidents or events, but that there's actually neural platforms. So there's like circuitry basically in the body that yeah. are responsible for these, and they're called neural platforms. And the first one and the most, the newest um, as far as evolutionary stuff is a super scientific evolutionary stuff. The newest one is the social engagement system. And that's the one that's responsible for how we connect to each other, how we make eye contact and how we use something called vocal prosody, which is like a full range of voice. Mm -hmm. Like when we ask a question, we can bring our voice (laughs) up to signify what we're intending to signify. And if we want to sound scary, we can, we can drop our voice like this. Mm -hmm. So it's like I have a full range of voice because I'm mostly in a safe socially engagement state. Mm -hmm. But if I can't, if I'm not safe or if I perceive or, or neurocept, but basically if I, if I detect that I'm not safe, whether it's in reality or not, what will happen is all that social engagement system, that safety system will get cut off. And I drop down into my flight, fight, mm-hmm. sympathetic arousal. But specifically in what polyvagal theory lays out is it's not flight or fight as if we're choosing. Mm-hmm. It's flight, then fight. Mm-hmm. And this, this has a lot to do with trauma and well, that'll make more sense as I go on. Mm-hmm. So if you can't be safe, you drop down to flight. If you can't run away, you drop down to fight. And then if you can't fight back, like if you're overpowered or whatever it is. Or it's like out of your control. Yeah. And it could be a lot. It could look so many different ways. Mm-hmm. But if you can't fight, then you drop down to the, the oldest um, autonomic nervous system state, which is the Vent, I'm sorry, dorsal vagal shutdown state. And that's where it's like this collapse immobilization hmm. thing. And that has a lot of evolutionary advantages, but basically that's how it goes. If you can't be safe, you drop down into flight. If you can't run away or escape, you drop down to fight. And if for some reason you can't fight back, uh, then you drop down into that shutdown. Hmm. Uh, that's the third. So those are three neural platforms, safety, safety and social engagement. That's the first one. The second one is the flight fight sympathetic system. And the third neural platform is the shutdown system. Mm-hmm. And that's just like basic language. That's, I think everyone kind of understands it. But that's, yeah. that's the three primary neural platforms, but it is a little bit more complex. I mean, that's like the cartoony version of it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how we respond to safety and danger. But you can mix these states up. So you can actually have a couple of these active at the same time. And so it gets a little bit more complex. So when you have the flight fight system active along with the shutdown immobilization, that's what we call freeze. So shutdown and freeze are different concepts. Shutdown is like a collapse, more like a dissociative, like just out of your body kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, or like death feigning, playing possum kind of thing, but it's like a limp collapse. It's immobile, but there's no muscle tone to it. And then the freeze state is a mixture of that immobilization, but also highly charged. So high, highly sympathetically like flight fight charged while immobilized. And that results in this freeze stiffening. And it's kind of like a panic attack where mm-hmm. you're breathing very shallow, yeah. but you're like tense, but you're not really, but you're like immobile. Like you're kind of stuck. Yeah. I was going to say, wait, I feel like I experienced yeah. all of these like in one day today. <laughs> so wait, these sound like it's, all of my states. <laughs> well, so we, we talk about these as if it's with extreme examples, but this is a day-to-day thing. Like people... Mm-hmm. Art might be dealing with the extremes of this. Like, well, for me, when I go up, like, I don't like heights at all. I, I don't do well with heights. And I feel this supercharged, like, energy thing, but my body also immobilizes. So I, it's like a panic attack. Mm-hmm. And my breathing is super shallow, and I'm, I, I just don't do well with that stuff. So it mm-hmm. can be triggered from a very traumatic event. It can be triggered from day-to-day stuff. Um, it can be triggered, like, by a coworker that you just can't stand or you don't get along for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, so that's freeze. But there's also a couple other mixed states. And the next one is the sympathetic flight fight system. So you have the, hmm. the energy there and you have the, um, that, like, flight fight 
movement, the ability to move. But mm-hmm. when you when you combine that with the safety system, that's called play. So when you're able to be mobile, but you can socially engage with someone, that's that's called play. And play, you know, think about like dogs that play, they make eye contact all the time. Mm-hmm. And they, they might be aggressive, but they're not really out to hurt each other. So they're mobile, but it's safe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus like, or if you see cats that play and, but cats that aren't playing that fight each other, like it sounds a lot different. Like they're okay. mobile and they're aggressive and it's like the worst sound ever because they've lost access to that vocal mm-hmm. prosody and they make these horrible, horrible noises. So that's, mm-hmm. so that's the second mixed state. And the third mixed state is when you have the safety system active plus the shutdown system. Mm-hmm. So you're still, but you're safe. That's called stillness. Mm-hmm. That's like laying down to go to sleep. Um, it could be meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be intimacy, like sexual intimacy. Yeah. It could be a lot of things where it requires stillness, but it requires you to be safe. Mm-hmm. You have to have both of those systems act at the same time. Now, people who lay down and go to sleep and can't because they're too too revved up, it's because that system of flight fight is activated enough to where they're no longer in their safety state. And if you're not in your safety state, you're not going to be able to lay down and go to sleep, mm-hmm. or you're not gonna, you're not going to be able to like kick back and do some meditation in a comfy chair. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you have to mm-hmm. have that safety system active. So there's the three main neural platforms. And then there are the three mixed states. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I mean, simultaneously, as I'm listening to you and, and watching our video, I'm also looking at my notes here. And yeah, you literally just explained like almost word for word what my notes were on this from, right. my, from my little bit of research on this. So obviously, you know this very well. Um, this has been my obsession for like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I think it was like, I work for a school district. Yeah. And during the summer, we can meet with kids, but usually they don't want to meet with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so the month of July, and it was, I want to say two summers ago. I've lost track. I think it was two summers ago. So the month during the month of July, I'm like, I have some time to do some professional development and start learning about, you know, something. And there was a certain client I was just kind of stuck with. Hmm. And I didn't feel like I was doing a great job. I was doing the best I could, but I'm like, there's something I'm yeah. missing. And, and a lot of trauma, trauma, a lot of dissociation. And I'm like, let me just start over completely and assume that I know nothing about this stuff and just look up trauma. And I looked at, you know, lectures on YouTube. And that's where I found um, Peter Levine, who does somatic experiencing. And I found Dr. Stephen Porges, who is the uh, creator of the polyvagal theory. And mm-hmm. once I heard both of them, really, and then Dead Day, and I was like, I think she was the first therapist that really started implementing polyvagal theory into therapy. But once I heard that, I'm like, I mean, just my world changed the way I, yeah. I experience myself, my family, my, my role as a friend, everything shifted. Like once I heard about the neural platforms hmm. and in, in a sense, life became kind of easier hmm. in a way, like just, just my interactions with people and being able to see, Oh, this person is just, they're not accessing their safety state. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, or maybe I'm not. And it's yeah. like, there's no judgment involved. It's just, Oh, that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's it. They don't have enough access or like in therapy. Now I see it as, oh, like this kid or now with, with adults, they're just, they're not accessing their safety state. They're a little bit more in the flight fight system. So that they don't, they're not perceiving safety. So how can I help this person feel safe? Hmm. And like, as a parent, that's a pretty big deal. So mm-hmm. it's just, it's so fundamentally changed every, every single facet of my life. Yeah. Because now that you can really identify these specific states in a more, specific conscious intentional yeah. way then you your approach and your perception of the interactions and of the being of other people and of yourself is a little different now and, and well i think the biggest thing is without the judgment mm-hmm. yeah. it's just every single one of us is we have the same circuitry mm-hmm. and some of us exist more down in a, de- a defensive state mm-hmm. it is what it is for whatever reason mm-hmm. and that's it it's not that someone's a jerk. It's that, oh, they just kind of, they're not in their social engagement system, period. Mm-hmm. That's it. No judgment. Yeah. You know I mean? And now, of course, we still judge, but but mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, that's yeah. it. Like, it's, it's just not that complex. And it, it removes the threat from it. When I know that someone is existing more of a fight place, just due to their own stuff, all of a sudden, it's not a personal thing. All of a sudden, there's there's no threat to me. It's just they have this sort of aggressive energy because they're in their more of their fight behavior. Mm-hmm. But that's not that's not a personal thing. You know what I mean? And there's no threat to me. It's just that's how the kind of that's where they're at right now. 
mm-hmm. how can I be the safest person I can be? And if I can be in my own safety state, I will naturally give them cues of safety. And that's, that's a whole separate concept of political theory called co-regulation, which is a pretty big one. Yes. That was one I was hoping we would transition uh, to. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, that's the <laughs> next section of my note here that I was um, wanting to yes. cover. And I mean... I know one of the biggest examples for discussing co-regulation is with using the parent-child relationship and creating that safety to help, you know, teach and uh, provide a safe space for children to uh, develop their own kind of um, emotional navigation system. Self-regulation. Yeah, self-regulation. Yeah, self-regulation. But that's also still something that's required in in adults. Um, And I think especially right now with uh, the lack of social contact, but also social contact in this very different way via technology um, definitely brings up, I think a very needed conversation around co-regulation and that um, perhaps that perceived lack of or perceived uh, sense of of danger, a lack of safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being isolated is is definitely a cue of danger. Mm-hmm. Not having access to other safe people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't feel safe. And being stuck in the house, not knowing when it's going to end, um, having to sanitize everything, like all this is danger, danger, danger. Yeah. And so a lot of us are probably existing. And I know for me, like, yeah, I get there. We probably mm-hmm. drop down into our more defensive behaviors. That doesn't mean that we're actually like fighting people or running out of the house. Yeah. But it, it might feel like day-to-day, it might feel like a lot of anxiety or panic mm-hmm. or like being fed up and irritated. Like that it, that system's on, but not so much to where you're fighting people, yeah. but it's on enough. And you probably have enough access to your safety system to kind of keep that in check. But like that system's activated. And I, I think all of us on some level are probably tapping into that and hopefully coming out of it. But mm-hmm. being cut off from other safe people that's a big deal. You know, like I, I would assume, like, I, I know I'm feeling that, like, I like to be, I'm good on my own. I don't need a whole lot of interaction, mm-hmm. but this is too much. Yeah. This is enough. Like I've had it. This is enough. I want to go like hang out with my friends and not that mm-hmm. I ever used to do that, but I want to see my friends. Anymore, <laughs> put it that yeah. Way. Yeah. You want to have yeah. an option too. <laughs> Having the choice. Yeah. Choice. Like that's a big deal. Yeah. So, but that what we're talking about is co-regulation isn't just interactions with other people. Co-regulation is that one person's like in their safety state mm-hmm. and they will naturally give these cues. It's like, it's like a cue of like, I'm a safe mammal. Like this, myself as an organism, I'm a safe nervous system and I'm giving cues of safety to mm-hmm. another person, right? And they're going to pick up on those cues. Like if, if you and I were talking and I just had a flat affect and wide eyes, and just talked in like very monotone voice like this, like that would not feel safe, right? No, it wouldn't. Even right. immediately right. as you started doing that for like 0. 0.5 <laughs> seconds, I was like, mm. I lo- but, I, <laughs> I don't but like that's that. <laughs> exactly. But the fact that you notice that, that that shows like you have enough awareness of what's happening inside it and you feel those things. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a person's weird, like it's not just a judgment. You you feel it. Yeah. Like that's the biggest thing is we feel these things. And when you, we become, if we can become more embodied and look inward and notice where this stuff lives in our body, and usually it's in like the chest or in mm-hmm. the gut, the, those people that we come across that are kind of creepy mm-hmm. and you feel it, like you feel it in your gut because that system's coming alive saying danger, yeah. like get out of here. You know what I mean? Like that, it, you feel it. It's not just a judgment. Mm-hmm. So co- co-regulation is when we have at least one person in their safety state who's able to like squint their eyes and sm- mm-hmm. give genuine smiles and use vocal prosody. And if someone can do that, they're giving cues of safety. And if yeah. I can't, if I can't do that, if I don't have control over my facial muscles, if I go, it goes flat, if I don't have control over the range of my voice, that means I'm not a safe mammal. That means I've dropped down into my flight fight or even shut down behavior. Mm-hmm. So I'm no longer in a safety state. That means like I'm, I'm potentially dangerous. And the, so the other person's going to pick up on that. And then like, just like you did, just like that 0.5 seconds, you felt it. You felt that there was unsafety. So if one of us is in our safety state, we'll give cues of safety. And the other, the other one who might be in more of a flight fight place or a shutdown place is going to pick up on those cues. And that's going to actually help them get to their own neural platform of safety. It's going to help them come up mm-hmm. uh, in, into that state. That's that state of safety and social engagement. Yeah, it's there's kind of two different sides of this that I'm, I'm curious to discuss a little bit. Um, one of, you know, 
being able to reach perhaps that state of play or that just that state of safe and social on your own solo, like how to regulate that yeah. within yourself, but then also uh, with other people, you know, if, if someone else is in a more shut down or freeze state of how to kind of interact with that, but you know, kind of two different sides of that, that I'm curious how, how you work with it or, um, any kind of experiences or examples to how to process that? Huge, like huge questions, right? I think the the first one that you touched upon, which I think people naturally go to, and it's a really good question is co-regulation is extremely important. And mammals, human beings, we're a social species. Mm -hmm. We have to, we don't do well with each other. We don't don't do well in isolation. We have to have each other, but, but safe but safe others. We have to have safe other uh, mm-hmm. human beings to be safe parents, safe friends, safe relationships. Like we have to have that. And if we don't, then we kind of lose the ability to self-regulate. Our, our ability to self-regulate is built upon our history of co-regulation. And then even if you didn't get it as a kid, that doesn't mean it's like done forever. It does, it does but it does make it a lot more difficult. Yeah. And so, but also like we need that. We need safe other people. Mm-hmm. Not all of us have that. Yeah, and and that's a good point that you said too of just how our self-regulation is influenced by our our co-regulation. That's yeah, yeah. hmm. That's where comes like that's that's really where it comes from. It and what specifically what that is is children when they have safe parents or safe individuals in their life, safe caretakers. That safety they feed off of that in a way. Mm-hmm. It, it it gives when parents can respond to the needs of their kids when care, when parents are are actually safe people who can connect emotionally. It 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 teaches that nervous system of the child that they are safe that they can climb up into that state of safety, and but it also teaches them how to tolerate distress, and then come and then eventually to self regulate. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like eventually, or I'm sorry. At first, kids babies have zero self regulation. They cry when they need something. Yeah. But over time, as parents respond to their needs, as they age, they'll be able to recognize the distress and to tolerate it and actually eventually self-regulate and realize, oh, I can, mm-hmm. as I get older, I can meet my own needs or I can or I can calmly ask for help. I can tolerate this distress that I'm in. And that's really self-regulation is that, is that window of tolerance, like how much of your own distress can you tolerate? Mm-hmm. So yeah, this, the co-regulation of early childhood is extremely important. And I think a lot of times, I just did an episode on... Um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is uh, trauma from early childhood, which le- which leads this person into being a very dysregulated state yeah. for a long, long time, unless they get some sort of help. Mm-hmm. And that, that interrupts every, asset, every facet of their life. It interrupts their being able to recognize safe relationships becomes a lot more difficult. If we're, if we're not self-regulated, we end up attracting and finding other people who are not very self-regulated that might end up taking advantage of, of that. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would imagine too, right now, actually, that a lot of people who maybe did experience a lack of co-regulation in childhood and this need to seek, this like perhaps very intense extra need to co-regulate with people right now might be yeah. like getting re-triggered by that lack of connection and struggling yeah. to self-regulate and find that place of safety within themselves. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And it's, I like how you said there's like that extra, mm-hmm. um, there's kind of like that extra need. Like we all need safe people. We all need connection. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't had that, the need is still there. It doesn't go anywhere. But recognizing safe people, like recognizing that and being able to be a part of it is the ability to do so is compromised. And mm-hmm. so even when you have those safe people in your life, the ability to be a part of it in a safe way and, a, and, and to experience trust and to experience vulnerability, mm-hmm. it's really hard. Like if you're not, if you haven't grown up experiencing trust and connection and love and safety, when you find those people in your life, you may not even recognize it. And I see that with the teens I work with a lot. Yeah. And I work with some, with, with some teens who are in a really bad who don't have it so great and they, they don't have period. They don't have co-regulation in their life mm-hmm. and, and they end up finding just the same bad relationships over and over again. And when they have safe people in their life, they don't recognize it. And until I bring their attention to it, I say, are there, is there anybody who is safe? And they say, no, and that's real. But I'm like, how about staff? 
Like, how about, is there a teacher? And once they start thinking about it, then they're like, oh yeah, that Mr. Whoever. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. kind of cool. Like, I do feel kind of okay with them. Mm-hmm. But like, but the ability to recognize it consciously, it's not quite there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they really have to kind of slow down and be able to notice that. Yeah. And just as, as we talk through this of, you know, recognizing safe people in your life, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking for people right now to yeah. really think about the people that do provide a sense of comfort, that provide a sense of safety to you and, I was just this week working with one of my clients and we were talking a lot about energy and her energy being drained in certain situations and being very just aware Mm. of where your energy is being fulfilled and where it's being drained. And I would imagine that a lot of the times when our energy is actually being drained from a a interaction with someone that there could potentially be that layer of, um, of of lack of safety there. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, feeling this like uh, obligation almost to fulfill that and totally. be polite, and then we end up in these right. like, uncomfortable situations, and especially right. around dating, I think. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, so we, like when you don't feel safe, your heartbeat goes up, mm-hmm. your flight fight system kicks on, maybe a lot, maybe a little, but everything starts to kind of get going, and that over time that does take a toll on your body, like. We know with ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Survey thing, mm-hmm. um, with ACEs, we, there's, we know there's a direct connection between the amount of adversity that someone experienced and later on life complications as far as like disease and uh, just, just health, mental health. Yeah. There's a direct connection. And that direct connection, I believe, is, is that your system is like on all the time. The flight fight system is always on. So it's using resources in your body for it's raising resources in your body for um defensive kind of behavior mm-hmm. versus health and growth and restoration and when yeah. we're in our safety state like that calms our heart down our breathing gets a little bit slower and all the resources that we have are going to be used for health and growth and restoration but when we're, when we're in more of a flight fight state all those resources go toward defense whether we need to or not Mm-hmm. But our body gets stuck there. And so it's using these, it's depleting resources that are necessary for other functions. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so much of this uh, just, <laughs> it kind of brings up our, our primal states. And uh, like you said, it's these really like internal systems that are just automatically taking place that yeah. certainly when we actually really understand and accept that piece does make it easier to have this um, acceptance and, and non-judgmental viewpoint of ourselves yeah. and of other people. No, none of this is a choice. Yeah. None of this is a conscious choice. This is all the autonomic nervous system. It, this is the stuff that we don't think about. It's our breathing. We don't think to breathe. We just breathe. We just do. Mm-hmm. Uh, heartbeat. We don't consciously beat our heart. It just does. Digestion, sweating, all of this stuff, Just it's just it's there like this, the autonomic nervous system regulates homeostasis. Um, it regulates all these things automatically, like it's just on its own. So mm-hmm. as we drop, as we go into these different platforms, if we, if we can't be in our safety state and we go to like flight and fight, the, the autonomic nervous system for flight and fight kicks on. We don't choose that. It just does. And these are all before conscious thought. These are all things that evolve within us over however long. Mm-hmm. None of this, none of this is a conscious thought. So once you can accept that, the judgment is like that there's nothing left to judge. It's just, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And and once you accept that and once you can understand and, you know, perhaps be educated on that, like as of right now, perhaps, um, how, I mean, I would imagine then it's just a practice of getting a little bit more in touch with your body to become aware of when those signals are coming up to be able to identify what place you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. So it usually starts off on like an intellectual level. So mm-hmm. the idea makes sense. Oh, okay. Let me learn more, more about that. But then it's like you, learning about it's great, but the next step is to become curious and look inward. Mm-hmm. And for, if you're in more of a defensive flight fight or shutdown place, curiosity is very difficult. Yeah. Looking inward is extremely difficult. Being able to be still, to being able to have access to your safety system and the shutdown system to, in order to be still and look inward it's sometimes downright impossible. Like it's very challenging, but that is the next step, at least a little bit, like at least a little bit to look inward and kind of become curious about, about uh, your interactions with people or when do I 
when do I obviously notice that my flight fight system's on? And maybe it's all the time. Mm-hmm. But when when do I, not just the painful stuff, but like the good stuff, when do I notice that I do feel connected to someone yeah. I'm with? And not protected, but connected. Mm-hmm. Like actually, like I feel safe. I feel so, I can make eye contact with this person and feel okay with it. When are those moments where there are connection? When are those moments you feel calm or that you're having fun? Like they're, they're there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So be, become curious about the positive stuff first. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and the more we focus on that positive connection, the safety, the more we focus on that and really like experience it and practice it and mindfully become part of that moment that actually builds our ability to handle the painful stuff. Hmm. So yeah. it's not ignoring the painful stuff. It's building the tolerance to the painful stuff by, by tapping into the safety first. Hmm. Yes. Ding, <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> it's a big deal. It's, it's a big one. Yeah. And that's, that is, I think also just like you're building resilience in, in that. Um, that's how you are, you know, honing in on your coping skills and, um, can hopefully maybe feel a little empowered. I I would hope so. Yeah. But that's, that's exactly it. It it is, you're building resiliency. It's called, um, the vagal break and in polyvagal terms, it's called the vagal break. Now the vagal break is not a separate thing. It's the influence of the social engagement safety system on the heart. So the stronger your social engagement system, the calmer your heartbeat is going to be. And if you have a calm heartbeat, you're not going to go into those flight fight behaviors. But yeah. this is true for all of us. Once that, once that social engagement safety system turns off, our heartbeat goes up. So that's true for every single one of us. But the stronger that system is, you'll be able to tolerate higher levels of distress before the flight fight system really kicks on. Hmm. Or you'll be able to like notice it. Like if I'm with someone creepy, like I'll notice, oh, that's kind of something doesn't feel right. But I can tolerate this, and I'll just make a plan and get the hell out of here. That's hmm. a lot different than my safety system comes off. Now I've lost access to my critical thinking. I've lost access to like feeling any sort of safety whatsoever, and I really am like shutting down, or I really am running away, or or fighting this person based on how I feel, you know, based on the flight by behaviors, you know. Yeah. So we have to have the more we build up that social engagement system or that feelings of safety, the more we do that, the greater our resiliency is. Yeah. Our distress tolerance, the window of tolerance. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, you know, in terms of uh, a lot of what I talk about on the podcast is like sexual health and and dating. And um, I think even as I think of, you know, take for example, the Gottman's Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, right? If, if you're stonewalling someone, you're likely in this state of shutdown um, and, uh, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong because I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, not a, super. Fr- I've heard of Gottman and, and whatnot, but I, I'm not familiar with the the pieces you're laying out. Okay, yeah. So the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, like, uh, basically help indicate when a relationship is likely going to to terminate. Um, so stonewalling is basically when uh, someone just completely like they totally shut down. They're not talking to you. They might just walk away. They're just not giving any more verbal cues. Their affect is really flat and they're just like, mm-hmm, okay. So, well, that could be, now this is, this is where things get more complex because there are these, there's the outward behavior, mm-hmm. but, but what's underneath that? Like if that person's stonewalling, but they're pissed off, that's yeah. more of a fight. That's not like a shutdown collapse. That's more of a fight behavior. So on mm-hmm. the outside, it looks a certain way, but what, what's underneath the behaviors? Mm-hmm. Only that person's gonna know. Actually, well, that's not true because if they are stonewalling and like <laughs> yeah. really tense, that's it's pretty obvious. Yeah, that's a lot different than someone who's like, it, you know, if if you're more of a shutdown and it feels like depression day to day. If you exist in a mm-hmm. shutdown place, it's it's depression basically. Yeah, if, and if you're there, like you don't even have the energy to stonewall. Based on what you're describing, mm-hmm. you may not even have the energy to do that. You're just kind of like you're numb. You're disconnected from the world, from yourself. Like you're, mm-hmm. and that's a big part of shutdown is, is disconnection. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier when you were talking about shutdown and when I was reading about it in my head, I was kind of like, oh, this almost sounds like it would be depression, um, like pretty totally. serious depression, clinical depression. Significant. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it sounds very intense, like takes over your whole body in that way. Um, it really is. It's not like someone's lazy. Like it, their their mm-hmm. biology is built, their yeah. biology in the moment of like shutdown, they're perceiving that their life is under threat. Mm-hmm. Not that they're in danger, but their very life yeah. is under threat. And part of shutdown, the function of shutdown, part of it is to prepare for death. Mm-hmm. So part of shutdown is we go numb or we dissociate. 
And that's mm-hmm. kind of, it's kind of like this last gift of like, if, if a predator is going to kill a prey, that prey might dissociate and go numb. Yeah. So they don't have to feel it. So it's like, it's almost like a last gift, but there's also the potential for surviving. Like if that predator gets distracted by mm-hmm. a bigger predator and they start yeah. to bite, then the prey who's in shutdown, they're going to pick up on that. Even though they're like, even though they're numb and disconnected, they're going to pick up on that. Mm-hmm. And then when they come out of shutdown, the first stop is the sympathetic fight state. Yeah. So that prey is going to use their muscles to like get up and maybe push away the predator, but they're going to use their muscles to get up and then use their flight system to run. And then they're going to get, get to safety back to with their herd. So it's like mm-hmm. we have to, and this is actually a big part of the political theory, is that these aren't choices. These are biological imperatives, like these platforms. The, the t- it's called the political ladder. Mm-hmm. Yep. At the top of the ladder is the safety state. If you can't be safe, then you, then you drop down the ladder into flight, down mm-hmm. into fight, and down into shutdown. But you can't just go from shutdown to safe. Yeah. You have to climb back up the ladder. So you have to, the first stop is that sympathetic fight energy. And then I see this a lot with, with the clients who are um, in a very shutdown, depressed place, hmm. that they come out of that and that energy comes back, but they don't quite have the safety system to tolerate it. So it turns into like anger. Mm-hmm. or lots of irritation. And I think that when we see that, it might seem like something's wrong. But if, if your energy is coming back, that's a really good thing. You're just not, you're not quite there to, yeah. like the safety state's not there to be able to tolerate it, but that's a really, really good thing actually. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm partially internally reflecting as we talk sure, through yeah. this. And uh, yeah, literally today, it felt like shut down. My body felt so heavy. I just, you know, couldn't, I just had to lay down being on my phone was too overwhelming. I didn't want to talk and just close my eyes and listen to the birds outside. And once I came out of that, I actually ended up having a fight with my mom where then I did have energy and I was like, okay, I guess I got energy because that was a pretty significant fight. Um, and then after that, I had a conversation with someone who, does feel very safe for me and was very comforting to where then I kind of felt much more calm and, and at peace with things, but it was definitely a yeah. like stepping back up of that ladder. I apologize for the noise right now. That's Lily having a sneeze attack. Who's Lily? My what cat, is Lily? Oh, okay. my cat. And literally I think she has a upper respiratory infection starting that or it's allergies. Okay. So I've been giving her medication or like lysine. But, yeah. um, yeah, she, no she keeps having these really intense sneeze attacks and my heart is just like, oh, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Lily. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it but, sounds like, it sounds like you might have, yeah, you've gone from shutdown into your energy and then yeah. back up to safety. Like that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And if we can just sort of be in the moment and recognize, like, I just need to check out for a minute, Yeah. but, but mindfully. And I love how you said that you went, you listened to birds. Yeah. Or like you do, like it, shutdown doesn't mean checking out. It doesn't mean going on your phone and ignoring the world. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna like being your shutdown state, that's fine. But being it mindfully, and that means like be yeah. still. But notice what it feels like to not move. Notice, notice what it feels mm-hmm. like to kind of reorient to your environment and reconnect to the environment yeah. and hearing things like birds. That's awesome. Yeah, water. Be, looking at the sky, like or looking at the ground, using your eyes to look around and reorient. Mm-hmm. That's a way to come out of shutdown. Yeah. And, um, but you, but you can't judge it. You have to like, just let yourself yeah. do it. It's okay. And yep. then when the energy comes back, let it come back. Don't judge it. Mm-hmm. Give it a big old hug. Welcome it back. Don't, but don't take it out yeah. on people either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which was so maybe part back. of the conversation <laughs> with my mom. <laughs> but, but there definitely was that piece of reorienting myself and, you know, yeah. stare, I just stared at my plants for a little bit and, there was this fight to, against the judgment that I think a lot of people are experiencing right now with just feeling a lot of pressure on themselves to just stay, stay strong and just be positive and just, you know, totally act like the world's totally normal, even though we're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, but yeah. I think it was, you know, once I released that and accepted it and was like, it's okay, you know, I included that piece of physical touch where I legit like hugged myself and just held myself while I cried. (laughs) I was like, just let it out. It's okay. (laughs) That's, that's, that's fantastic today. (laughs) That's perfect. No, that's exactly it. And, but you, but just don't judge it when you're doing Mm -hmm. it. Right. And not just you, but for anybody listening, Yeah, these feelings are normal. We all have them. Mm -hmm. I I exist in kind of a shutdown place pretty often. 
And I've kind of been there my whole life. And mm-hmm. so for me to socially engage and have, I, I don't, that's not my, I don't like it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like one-on-one, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Put, put me in a group. I want to hide. I just, it doesn't work yeah. well for me. So I exist kind of in a shutdown place, but I don't judge it. It's just like, and we all, all of us exist. None of us are, are like in our safe and social state all the time. That's not yeah. realistic. And if that's you, I don't, a person sounds annoying to me. I can't, I can't imagine like yeah. being around someone who's always in their perfectly happy safety. I just, I don't know. I don't know if I can yeah. tell them being around someone like that. But I mean, Mm-hmm. But like we all, none of us are like way up there all the time. Yeah. And we, I think, but I think that kind of what makes us wonderfully, beautifully unique is that we all have these like imperfect wrinkles to us. And that's what makes life, I think, kind of exciting and dynamic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we all were in our safety state, I just, that sounds like a very boring world yeah. where we're all just sort of like connected and perfect and happy and yeah. relaxed. I don't know. I, just, I can't well, imagine. Well, and, and part of, I think, even just to reach connection, sometimes we have to go through that phase of it feeling unsafe because vulnerability has risk to it. So we it do does. have to like have a sense of courage to even get to yep. that place of safety and connection uh, to you know work through that perceived sense of fear or that uh, potential you know lack of safety. If you really think about it. Having sex no, with someone, right? Like that's yeah. like could feel like not a safe thing or like a totally an unknown that you could be nervous about. But even things like just simple eye contact, mm-hmm. like that by like how long can you actually make eye contact with someone before it feels weird? Yeah. And now some people might be able to like look at their spouse for longer. A stranger, mm-hmm. obviously, you're not going to look at each other's eyes very long. Yeah. But but some of us have a really hard time doing that. And it just like, it just doesn't feel safe. So it's like, you can kind of access the safety system enough to look at someone in the eye. But then when you look away, what's happening is that that flight system's kicking on a little bit and you've lost access to your social engagement system. So you look away, like you sort of keep looking away because it doesn't feel safe. There's something like you have to build the tolerance to being able to do that mm-hmm. or like being in close proximity, hugging. Um, all those things require that we have to have some level of tolerance to being in our safety state. Mm-hmm. And accessing that, like some, you, maybe you plow through it and just say, I'm going to do this and you make it happen, maybe. But you can also do what you did today and just respect where you're at. Yeah. Let the, let the energy come back. And if you already have it, let it kind of run its course or use the energy to do something physical, but mindfully. Yeah. And then if you can successfully do that, and it's not that easy, but if you can do that, you'll naturally get to that place where, you, where you're like, I'm ready to connect with somebody. Mm-hmm. And you might, you might contact that safe person in your life um, to connect with them because you're just ready to. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess this recording that happened at a good time because this, I think my experience today very much applies to this conversation. <laughs> so, Sounds um, like it was a real life example for us. Yeah. Um, any, any of us can look back at the day though. And this, it's the autonomic nervous system. It's mm-hmm. always scanning, always yeah. scanning for danger or safety. So at this moment right now, the person is listening, you're in some sort of state. And our voices may be a trigger. This, this idea may be a trigger of da- like a cue of danger for them and send them into more of a flight place. Maybe they've already turned the podcast off because it was too much. Hmm. And for some of them, it might be like, maybe they're in a shutdown place, but hearing these ideas is kind of like unlocking something for them. And so they might have some energy return and they're like, oh, I'm excited. I want to hear more. Yeah. So like this, that's just the, that's the story of it. But like these, our, our system is always scanning for safety or dangerous, not just during extreme things. It's, it's always doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that's especially just heightened right now. It Even is, yeah. the simple, simplest, normalist things. Uh, normalist? I don't know if that's worth <laughs> um, I'm making it one. But the like simple it. day-to-day things, you know, of just like going it. for a walk or going to the grocery store, yeah. um, those things now are our body, I think, is extra scanning for safety. It might be. And I think that, well, so each of us is going to respond differently to mm-hmm. the, the situation. Yeah. And, um, if, if we have a job where we're going, like we still, there might be some sense of normalcy or you might be able to at least go out and like be with people. That's a lot different than someone who is going to be at home and stuck at home and now they're working from home. Yeah. But at the same time, being out is a cue of danger because there's virus, the virus is there. like, that's, that's mm-hmm. where the danger is. Yeah. So being at home might feel safer, but it's so dependent person to person mm-hmm. and you have to like look at it and the situation that we're in. 
can in, in general can we feel safe? Eh, that's kind of like out the window in a large part, right? Yeah. That doesn't mean that we're running away and fighting, but we I think a lot of us feel that some sort of tension or anxiety or maybe mm-hmm. panic or maybe some irritation or anger. I don't know. Yeah. So a lot of us are out of our safety system, I think. But then with with everything going on, can we run away from it? Can we avoid it? Not no. really. It's everywhere. So we drop down into fight. Can we fight it off? Not really. No. No. So some of us might be in a very shutdown place. Some of us might mm-hmm. be hanging out in that anxiety um, flight energy. Yeah. Some of us might be in that more angry, irritated fight energy. And some of us might be just in a flat out shutdown. Mm-hmm. Or some of us might be in that like freeze panic kind of energy. So everyone's super different. Yeah. This of course depends on child. This depends on culture. This depends on lots of stuff. This where do you live? What neighborhood are you in? Where do you go to work? If you go to, yeah. there's so many, th- so many variables. So everyone has to like look in themselves and kind of be curious without judgment, mm-hmm. be curious and just kind of say like, where, where am I? Do I feel like more like running away? Do I yeah. feel more like fighting or do I feel more like hiding? I think that's probably a good way to put it. And when people can kind of sit back and, and identify that and check in with themselves, then at what point, I mean, I'm going to ask this question, but also <laughs> pose it with a potential answer that I think okay. might be possible um, of like how they then respond to that. And I feel like if you identify, you know, that you want to run or you want to hide or you want to freeze that you then, you know, tap into your toolbox of coping skills of how you usually would on a day to day and just pull one of those out and, you know, maybe increase the frequency of those things right now. But I'm curious what you would. It could be. No. So for me personally, um, I'm not a huge coping skills guy. They're important. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah. but telling someone to breathe deeply or uh, I don't know what's on the coping skill, um, count things in the room or whatever it is, mm-hmm. it, it's that doesn't work for everybody. Not one yeah. coping skill, can, right? Like it's it's so mm-hmm. subjective. Yeah. So if if someone's like, I feel like I'm more of a flight place, maybe that coping skill from the therapist is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Maybe the coping skill they got from Instagram is a good idea. But it might just be like, what are you into? Like, what do you personally enjoy? What do you? Yeah find connection or joy or fun like where do you find that like there's something we all have something i think and i would encourage someone rather and especially because when we think about coping skills like deep breathing it now becomes am i doing it right my therapist said to do it this way i had to count this many times am i doing it right am i doing right and then it doesn't or i'm supposed to like close my eyes and look inward but that doesn't feel safe whatsoever or i'm supposed to count things in the room but i hate this it's so stupid Mm -hmm. like what brings you the like what's your thing if you're yeah. in a, I love drawing. I could draw and I'm, I'll be good. And like, I just know, like, that's mm-hmm. my, that's my safe. That's my passion. It's my fun. That's my, my meditation in a way. Did but you I draw also, your little emoji thing for your podcast? The icon. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, I stole it from another one, but I, I designed it more, yeah. more or less. Um, yeah. I, I artistically stole it. So it's not mm-hmm. really stupid. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's what you're talking about too, is like, it's kind of like a trial and error. And I think different times, different quote unquote coping skills might feel differently for you. You know, like a lot of the times for me to, um, cope with anxiety and relieve that physical anxiety, it'll be things like going for a walk or masturbating, but like today, doing doing something. Yeah. Yeah, but like today, did I feel like I could go masturbate or go for a walk with that like level of physical anxiety I was feeling? No, I was like, right. I need to just lay down. Like that was all I could yeah. do. Well, if you're in a shutdown place, being asked to do something is mm-hmm. you don't have the energy for it. It's just not going to work. Yeah, but but being asked to like be still and just look around the room, mm-hmm. wiggle your toes, do something small. Yeah, do a a short walk, do a slow walk. Um, stand up and do some stretches maybe like but that's a lot different than like hey go out and like run around like that's yeah. for that per- or do a bike ride like that's for someone yeah. in a shutdown place that just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. but at the same time for someone who's in more of a flight bike place asking mm-hmm. them to be still and look inward then eh, that might not be good unless they can handle it that might not be a good idea like they're they're primed for movement so mm-hmm. move but have fun with it like do something that's that is actually enjoyable and that you can mindfully be a part of. So don't just go move around. Yeah. Like move around in something that is, you can really experience it. So if you go for a walk, can you actually experience what it feels like to walk, to to feel your feet on the ground or maybe your feet, like your bare feet in the grass? 
Mm-hmm. Like, can you mindfully really be in the moment and feel it? And if you can do that, that's when the energy starts to come out. Otherwise, if you're just moving around, it doesn't really help out a whole lot. It might kind of, you yeah. might wear yourself out physically. Mm-hmm. That's, that's different than actually letting that energy kind of come through you. And you, we have to attach that mindfulness to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something too, that I talk with people who, you know, look at meditation and feel a lot of pressure around that and feel like there's this exact way they have to do it. And and I say, you know, anything that gets you really focused on like your present moment and in touch with your body, like even I use the example of like, even if you're just like doing the dishes, like if you're loading the dishes into the dishwasher and can be super mindful and just focused on that as you do each movement, like I think that can be a form of meditation. It can. I I literally had a client tell me that she liked to do, um, she liked to clean dishes with no gloves on because she liked the feel of the bubbles. That was her like Zen time. Yeah. It is what it is. So it's not like now, it's not like do dishes all the time. It's no, when you're doing them, like really Mm -hmm. be in that moment or like folding laundry. Have you you seen the, um, what's her name? She does the, um, she folds or like organizes, but in like triangles and like stacks them. Oh, you know what? About? No, I I've heard of this. I can't remember her name. And she calls it, I'm totally blanking out. So, but like folding laundry can be so peaceful. Yeah. And, and she has this way of, you don't stack them. You like fold them and then line them up. So, I don't oh. know, I'm, not, I'm doing a horrible job describing If you, if you uh, think of it, uh, email me I'll the, think about the it link because I'd love to watch that. <laughs> I know. It's killing me that I can't remember. Yeah. Sparks joy. And she says it, whatever sparks joy for mm. you. That's her mm-hmm. phrase, sparks joy. But the way she even doing something like that, you can do it like and really be in the moment and feel the wrinkles or feel what it feels like on your fingertips to smooth something mm-hmm. out and then fold it just so. Like that might be your thing. Yeah, might not be, but it, it, like that might be your thing. And, and meditation. And now the other thing is like if you like a certain thing, like if you're into meditation, I, I've I've kind of started to like meditation. Hmm. But when I, when I listen to a, a guided meditations, I can't stand it. It doesn't work for me. Yeah. So I have to just do my own quiet thing. Because when I hear the guided meditations, they're talking about like beams of light. And I'm like, no, there's no beam of light. What are you talking about? Yeah. There's nothing <laughs> coursing through me. There's no colors. What are you talking about? That's just not the way I interact, the way I think. I'm very mm-hmm. kind of, uh, my thinking, that's, that's not the way I work. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that doesn't work for me. But I do think there's some value here. Mm-hmm. So I'll just figure it out for myself. That's just, that's how I work. Yeah. So there might be a thing where like, creating or doing art is your thing. But for me, it's, I like, I'm holding, I love markers. I like this brand. So I'm holding it yes. while I talk. So it's just yes. like, so like for me, this, this is it. I love this. But for someone else, maybe it's Crayola. Like the, maybe they're like the kid markers or crayons or paints. So mm-hmm. creating is an avenue, but what does that look like person to person? And even then, if we, even if we agree on like the marker, how fast do I work versus how fast do you work? Yeah what do you want to create versus what I want to create? What colors pull me versus what colors pull you? So even if we agree, like even if we have similar experiences, the thing that the way we do those things is so subjective. And so the question is, or the, the point is whatever you're pulled toward, whatever brings you joy or connection, like, but then the next step is like, how, like, what, it, what about that? How do you do it? Mm-hmm. That like, that really brings that to you and to tap into that, like tap into what pulls you and maybe go away from what stuff that pushes you away. Mm-hmm. I can't stand painting. I'm not going to do it. That's not my thing. Yeah. So I, I don't do that. I listen to what my body wants and my body wants markers like this with brown paper. I love it. It's just my mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. No, I think that's a beautiful way to kind of describe and, and the questions to ask yourself uh, mm-hmm. when figuring out how you can bring yourself more of that energy and feel more connected and uh, become more in that safe social uh, state. And yes. It's, yeah, it's tough because I think in general, not a lot of people are aware of how they cope with life or how they deal with tough feelings. And now I think everyone's being forced to figure that out and to sit with that on a global level. Um, So I think that was a beautiful way to describe it, to like check in with yourself and ask yourself some of those questions to figure out what's going to work for you and what's not. Yeah, so our options for how we're dealing with uh, what we're going through right now are probably less. If, if So for people like me that do well at home, I, I have tons of stuff I can do. Mm-hmm. But for people who are more active and outdoorsy and social, it might be a lot more difficult. Yeah. So you, you kind of have to really be curious all over again about yourself and what you're pulled toward and, and what you're not yeah. pulled toward. Yeah. And then, and then tap into that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, as we kind of start to wrap up here, um, 
I have like a few last questions to ask you. Um, one is like, just as everything we're going through right now, what is one thing that is like bringing you joy that like you're finding peace in, in your life, in life in general, something that's grounding you. Um, if you're open to giving an example. on Yeah. yeah. I, you know, the thing that popped my mind is I'm, I feel like I'm reconnecting with my kids all over again in a different way. And I feel like we've had a good relationship. I've always had a good relationship with my kids. Um, but we're around each other all the time. So it's like, there is this friction there. Cause mm-hmm. and I have to work from home. I yeah. can't play all the time. Yeah. But when it's, I definitely can't play all the time, but when it's four o'clock and my work day is over, I really enjoy it. I can't wait to like reconnect with my kids mm-hmm. and play with Legos or play Mario Kart or mm-hmm. go outside. And that has really kind of, I, I feel like I'm tapping into that connection with my kids, that safety system mm-hmm. and really embracing it. And I noticed myself doing a lot more eye contact and a lot mm-hmm. more genuine play versus mm-hmm. like forced. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. that, that has been, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that, that right there has been, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Um, and, and I guess just kind of leaving off on the polyvagal theory here, um, of if there's one thing that like you would want people to take away from this theory and how they can apply it, the impact it can have, um, perhaps it's an exercise. I know we had to talk a little bit about just kind of how to, you know, identify it and be aware of it, but maybe there's an exercise or just a specific point to this that you want to leave people with. I want to I want to give people um, a new mindset. Hmm. And I think that having a new story, a new narrative, a new mindset can help get to the next step. Mm-hmm. And, and the mindset is that you're normal. And if if you've been through a traumatic event and you live in more of a traumatized state, um, your biology worked. You you did survive. It did what it needed to do. It had nothing to do with choice, and it was purely instinctual. And if you went to flight. That's what happened. If you went to fight, if you went to shut down, if you went to freeze, that's simply what your body perceived as necessary for that moment. Hmm. And it did survive. So it's like it worked. And of course it was painful, but it worked. And and so now what people are left with is feeling a lot of blame, a lot of judgment, shame. But hopefully that new narrative of like, no, it worked. And you're, you're normal. All of any of us in that situation may have, probably would have, hmm could have gone through the same platform shifts. Mm-hmm. And so now what people are left with is, and I like to say that they're not, I don't like to say that people need healing. I say that they're stuck. Mm-hmm. I don't think, yeah. I don't think, I don't stuck think any broken. of us. Hey, hey stuck, <laughs> not broken. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think a single one of us is broken and I just, I'm not there. So mm-hmm. I think we all get, all of us, I think all of us get stuck and whether that's a traumatic event or attachment issues or whatever it is. Yeah. So, so none of us are in our safe and social state all the time. All of us exist in some level of defensive state. So on some level, all of us are kind of stuck and mm-hmm. it, none of us are broken. We're just, we're stuck, stuck, not broken. Yeah. We're humans. That's it. We're mammals. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was beautiful. I feel like I learned so much on this and it was also selfishly a little therapeutic on my end because (laughs) today was a rough day. Yesterday was a great day, but today was a rough day. Um, So this is good just to get perspective um, and educate myself even a little bit more on this theory. Um, You are so passionate about this theory that Um, your podcast focuses on it. Um, Do you want to tell people a little bit about where they can find you and maybe some of the work that you do? I guess someone did like talking about this. I forget that. Oh yeah. I'm, I want people <laughs> to seek me out. Um, yeah. It's called the Polyvagal Podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at naming things. So it's just Polyvagal Podcast. <laughs> yeah. And every week I have um, at least one episode. I do a couple of interviews, but I do a lot of information about trauma mm-hmm. and about the state shifts about, I did a lot of work um, on the DSM and how to translate mm-hmm. it into polyvagal terms. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stuff. And, um, that's been, so it's been around for a year and I really want to start pushing people to like make change, not just learn about it, but to implement it. So I feel this urge to like do that. And I think that'll be a change coming to the podcast pretty soon is really pushing people more in that direction of like, let's get to the next step here. You can do this. And if I need to do do like a 
couple episodes on kicking people in the butt to do that. Like I, I want to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that. And then um, justinlmft.com. I have lots of resources and a blog and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. Yeah. No, your website was very beautifully put together and like very, oh, very informational. Um, but then also I your love Instagram. Design. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I like, I'm a very visual person. So that means a lot to me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then your Instagram as well. That's, is it Justin LMFT? Just Justin LMFT. LMFT. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time and, and all the information and, and examples. No it's been really great chatting with you. Thank you for having me on. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right? And, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to it at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.